resident lighting specialist to our residential Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Eric Crawford joins us from Boise, Idaho, where he is owner of The Loop, a custom integration firm serving the Treasure Valley area of Idaho. I'm not exactly sure how Eric and I originally connected, but he's always there for me when I need a quote in the magazine, and I've always wanted to do a deeper dive into his business and career. What better place than in a public forum like a podcast? When I reached out to him recently to get yet another quote for a a piece that we were working on, I found out that he was on vacation and doing a quote-unquote digital detox in celebrating his anniversary with his wife, and I really thought that was a great novel approach to a vacation for someone in the tech space. So I thought this is the time I needed to connect with Eric. As soon as the detox is over, we're going to connect and talk about this and much more. Eric Crawford, welcome to the podcast. Look forward to talking to you. Thank you, Jeremy. It's great to be here. Great to be here. Well, you and I spoke a little bit prior to the podcast about this digital detox and, uh, and uh, it, it's not a, a major topic, but I, I do find it fascinating because when I go to a conference or a trade show and I see folks in your line of work or my friends who I write about and have written about for 25 to 30 years, they cannot get off their devices for I- anything. You know, you're you're yeah. at a you're at a conference where they're saying work on your business, not in your business. And the first thing people do during the coffee break is go answer a client call or talk to their <laughs> technician, like what, solving a problem for their for their yeah. guys. They can't walk away and, and just be in the moment where they are. And I just, I, I really thought that uh, the fact that you were able to do that and made a point of doing it, and it seems like that's a, it's becoming a, a, a way of vacationing for you. Uh, it was a great yeah, lesson yes. for folks in this industry. And what what was the original motivation there? When did you say, I just need a break from my phone and this would be healthy for me? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I tend to, I would say, um, be quite committed to everything in my life. Um, some use the term obsessive, I prefer committed. And so I'm very involved in everything in my life, whether it's with my wife of 19 years, whether it's with our three children, whether it's with work, whether it's with a hobby, uh, they always tend to be pretty intense for me. And I started to realize that with the loop, the, uh, you know, I think one of the difficult things that all in- owners of integration firms face is that we work from maybe 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., but then our clients typically get home around 5 p.m., maybe 6 p.m., and then that's when they start having questions. So now we kind of have this fade as we fade out from business activity to now potentially support activity because as owners, we're naturally committed and love the industry. So then we start doing this evening committal where people are having some devices not working or something. And we're then supporting from that regard into sometime, you know, depending on how many time zones we feed, in some cases late into the evening, early morning. And I started to realize that when I was trying to vacation with my three kids and wife, that I wasn't really getting any type of recharge. Um, one of the biggest things I was feeling was not only this, this support that I needed to provide during my time off, but then also constantly keeping up on email and text messages because I didn't like the feeling of coming back from days off and having this big, long, 
list of back orders, so to speak, that I needed to go through of emails and appointment requests and client questions and email, you know, vendor questions and all these kinds of things. And so I started looking, going, okay, well, even when I'm going on vacation, even if I have someone else kind of manage my day-to-day stuff, then it became, okay, I still have this email burden that happens when I'm out of town. And I didn't like coming back with this big, long list. And so I heard about someone, um, another business coach that I follow advised, hey, you know, look at having your emails actually just disappear. Imagine Hmm. coming back to an inbox that doesn't have eight days of emails backed up. Because in reality, the email from seven days ago, it's either not important or someone else in your organization has already addressed that issue. And if it hasn't been one of those, then most likely that person will reach out again needing something. So um, now what happens is when I go on these digital detox vacations where you know, this last one was a trip where um, we were on a boat and this boat had a TV on it. And the company that we rented the boat from said, hey, let me show you how the TV works. And we said, no, we're not. We won't turn it on. And they're like, well, no, no, we, we're going to show you. And I said, no, I don't even want to know how to turn it on. We, we will not be using phones. We will not be using laptops. We'll not be using any piece of technology unless it's required for our transport. You know, booking a dinner reservation getting navigation, something where we need a digital device, but communication will be completely severed. And so in my Outlook, I actually have a rule set up that basically says, hey, I'm disconnecting for X number of days. Your emails will be permanently deleted. If this is an important matter, here are the people you can contact. If you want to reach me specifically, resend your email after this date. And then I will have access to it. Mm-hmm. And the first time I did it, it was it was oddly linked with a trip to Zion National Park, which okay. you know, for anybody that's on the call that's that's been, it's a very spiritual place. And after spending five days at Zion National Park and coming back to an empty inbox, it, it was the craziest thing. It just it just allowed me to come back so recharged, not having you know, 137 emails to go through and which ones are valid and do I need to respond and this to resolve, all of that went away. And so I now right. encourage that throughout my team to do the same um, because I think it is really important for people in our industry who are constantly connected to take that break and reconnect with their family, to reconnect with themselves, whatever it happens to be, you know, whatever they're going on a trip, wherever they're taking that time out of the office. I, I think that what you're talking about is essential to some sort of longevity in this in this business, um, I see so many people just sort of burn out. And at one point, I was uh, at a an event at a resort for a manufacturer, so it was kind of like a business and pleasure b- blending, which is hard to do. Um, and a, a good friend of mine over the years in the industry, Greg Margolis out of the Dallas market, uh, was there, and he was just perennially successful with this particular manufacturer. And I asked him, said so many people sort of just like fizzle out as dealers and they go into maybe being a rep or they go into being a manufacturer person. Uh, What's your longevity secret? And he said, I take vacations. (laughs) And he didn't say digital (laughs) detox. That was a long time ago. But I thought, what a novelty, you know, because so many guys just cannot do it, even a vacation um, because they just don't 
feel comfortable leaving their company in someone else's hands. And so uh, what you're doing is sort of like the the advanced version of just take a vacation. But uh, uh, yeah. what, what a great idea. Yeah. And and the only time I've ever actually come close, you mentioned a boat. I remember the, the one time I've taken a, a family cruise somewhere, we just literally did not have service. So um, yeah. it was sort of a forced thing. We did turn on the TV and and watch like every Disney property ever made because it was a Disney cruise. But <laughs> so yeah. we weren't t- completely disconnected for t- from tech. But it was a uh, it was a nice break from email and texting and everything. And I get how how that yeah. can just clear your head for sure. Um, yeah. Well, I want to I want to learn more about your your uh, path to this industry. So um, you mentioned to me that you're not really like the typical. Uh, person that comes up through this tech space and becomes an integrator. What was uh, your path um, to get here? What did you start off uh, as an interest level in maybe college or prior to that um, in high school, somewhere that you kind of developed your, uh, your skills that turned into becoming a business owner? Yeah. Uh, Well, great, great, great question. I mean, so uh, yeah, so my background as a child I typically did well with um, what I what I refer to as multivariable problems situations where something didn't work but it, you couldn't specifically pinpoint what that was so you had a lot of different things interacting so that mechanism didn't work and I just seemed to be able to figure out when there were all these different things interacting what root cause was and you know was able to resolve the problems. And my later years in high school, people said, oh, well, you need to be an engineer. That's what engineers do. So I was like, okay, I don't know. So I went off to college, um, got a manufacturing engineering degree. And it turns out that that is exactly what manufacturing engineers do, is they look at some product that needs to be built and then figure out the best way to build it. And then as you're building it, constantly go through an iterative process to optimize the manufacturing of that product. And I did that for about about 10 years in the Northwest and then was just ready to get out some things in the industry, some other things went on in the Northwest. I just realized I needed to to make a change. And so at that time I decided to leave engineering and start the loop here in Boise. And um, what I noticed when I first got into the industry was that I started to see, wait a second, this industry really isn't um, really isn't about the product. I argue, and I talk about it in my CETA trainings all the time, that we are a service business. We are service at the core. And so I started structuring a loop around how do we deliver a service experience that's consistent across multiple projects. So as we start looking at multiple projects and multiple clients, we need to be able to deliver that premium experience and we need to do it time and time again. Um, because I think one thing that's unique in our industry is that most of our clients, at least in our market, have never done something like, like this with their home in the past. Most mm-hmm. of our clients that spend twenty to $200,000, they've never done this before. So we are their first and at least as of right now, their only experience with integrating technology into their home, which means if we screw up, they look at the whole industry as being bad. And even if we did it perfect 99 other times, if we screw up on that one project, that's their only experience of the industry. 
So now they're going to look at the industry poorly. So mm -hmm. I took my experience as an engineer and my experience in process development to focus on that side of the business and really refine how do we deliver a consistent experience when we're combining 15 different vendors and 30 different manufacturers and third party contractors and you know builders and designers and all these individuals to try and create a consistent experience for the client. And I think that's one thing that's unique about the loop is we are a very operations focused company. Um, as I've shared with people and I've done my CDA trainings, we're very focused on optimizing the process of what we're delivering. So making sure that the product and that service experience are premium. Um, our clients are obviously spending lots of money and they're looking for support. And I believe that when we deliver that, vast majority of our projects in our industry, um, the black box brand doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Whether you know whether you're looking at Yamaha or Sony or Marantz or whatever this box is, I've found that the vast majority of clients, if they went to bed and in the middle of the night we swapped out all their gear and they woke up in the morning and they picked up the remote and they hit watch TV, as long as the TV still came on and they still got sound out of those speakers and the volume control still worked and the channel sort, they wouldn't they wouldn't care. And so we focus on that a lot at the loop is how do we deliver that consistent experience across project after project after project. So we have lots of flowcharts and checklists and automated backend software and these types of things. And that's, you know, that's what I really love. That's, that's my passion is, you know, looking at systems that are broken and figuring out how to optimize them, not by selling more stuff or not by increasing product pricing, but how do we optimize our system to decrease our costs? Because for me, the way I share with my team and with other integrators is that I would much rather sell the exact same amount of stuff and have a, and make more money by optimizing what we do versus going out and trying to find 10% more work to make more money. Hmm. I think there's, I would much rather say, let's focus on keeping our sales volume the same. And, I say that not saying that we have, we've continued to grow year over year, um, but we're combining that growth with both a growth in sales and a decrease in our operating expenses while everything else stays the same. So I'm not sure if that necessarily you, answers you, your question. No, that's a, that's a great um, insight into your, um, into your skill set, your personality, um, and, and how you got into the, the business um, in a way. Um, I always ask folks, how did they even know about this industry? And I'm kind of curious how you go from, um, you kind of, you kind of jumped into being an integrator without much explanation for how very, you even knew true. about this industry. Yeah. Um, so what I was your, what was your connection? Yeah. You know, so I first got into it, um, um when I was in, when I was in Seattle, the Seattle area as an engineer, um, I always just kind of liked AV but it was never a hmm. it was never a passion. I would say I just liked as much as any other regular guy likes a decent sized TV and good sounding sound. And there hmm. happened to be what at the time I didn't know what they were an integrator that I drove by on the way to work to and from each day. So I pulled in there one day and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Wow, there's like 
stuff here more than just like some speakers and a TV. And being in the Seattle area, the home of Magnolia, you know, what was obviously acquired by Best Buy, being the home, you know, that being their, their you know, original territory, uh, being able to go into Magnolia Hi-Fi and see this and a big company they're called Definitive, uh, being able to see this side of it, I started going, wait a second, there's this whole other industry. And so then I started digging into it, um, went to CES, attended CD Expo, and I realized, oh my gosh, this is not a pair of speakers and a TV. These are whole home systems and technologies. And, and you know, it kind of it, it kind of scratched my itch of these complex systems that are being installed um, and delivering this experience to clients, which to me sounded very exciting. And so mm-hmm. I kind of dipped my toe in the water in the Seattle area and, you know, did some basic, you know, back in the day, some Harmony remotes and some, you know, initial surround sound systems and Velodyne speakers and these types of things and started to go, wow, this is really cool. And the thing, you know, one of the things that I love and I talk, especially with our junior our junior team members about it, um, one of the things I love about our industry is that you can do it anywhere and it's not something that's ever going to go away at least in my opinion, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, if I'm living in Boise, Idaho right now, if I wanted, I could move to Salt Lake. I could move to Texas. I could move to any of these other cities and have an integration company, which for me is, I think, an incredible benefit of our industry that very rarely gets talked about. Um, that, you know, we can, we can, you know, I can move from Seattle from a huge metropolis, come to, you know, somewhat, some of the time, especially Podunk, Boise, Idaho, and start this integration company and become a, you know, a seven figure business, um, just serving our specific territory right here. And I could be home every night with my kids. Um, my travel is minuscule except for trade shows and some out of town clients. And I think it's, I think it's amazing. So after you know, almost 17 years now, it's, I really put some deep roots into the industry and really, really love it. Well, I, I want to continue our conversation. I want to learn how you ended up in Boise. Uh, but first, we're going to take a short break. Do you want superior smart home automation at a great value? Shelly Wi-Fi Relays by Alterco Robotics cover DC to line voltage, allowing you to control lights, outlets, appliances, garage doors, pumps, and much more. There are Shelly sensors and power measurement devices to help you measure temperature, humidity, lux, or motion and electrical consumption from single wire to three phase with neutral. You can use Shelly with a licensed driver for Control 4, Elon, or other premium systems, as well as your customer's existing hub, voice assistant, or any platform that accepts REST, MQTT, or CoAP. Shelly can make IoT very easy. Available now at Blackwire, City Electric Supply, and Worthington, or at ShellyUSA.com. Welcome back. We're talking with The Loop's Eric Crawford. and. Eric, um, I, I wanted to ask you then how you get from Seattle to Boise. Is it um, is it a lifestyle change um, from from a big city to a, a less um, intense place, or was there something else that brought you there to be able to start your business, um, the loop there in Boise? Yeah, but that's a great question. That's a great question, Jeremy. Um, yes, a lot of it was looking for a different environment. Uh, when we moved here, we had one child who was eight years old. Um, and the, the Seattle market is very busy, obviously very crowded, very big city. I spent the first 28 years of my life there um, in the greater area, all along the western, the western side of Washington, Oregon. And I just, I wanted something smaller. I want something more personal. Um, I want something more family focused. And 
Um, as I was looking, I wanted to stay close because I have a lot of extended family in the Seattle area. So I wanted a place that I could easily return back to Seattle. So we we're looking at kind of the Northwest area of you know, Washington, Oregon, Idaho. And at the time, um, the regulations uh, in Idaho made it much more appealing to start an integration company, especially the type of integration company I wanted to build. And so then we looked at when we looked around, we came over, um, came over, checked out Boise. I used to be really into whitewater kayaking and rafting. And this is just a mecca for that. And mm. so just fell in love with the sunny days and the people here, the best people I've met. Uh, people of Boise, Idaho are just absolutely amazing people. So came over, thoroughly fell in love with it. And so packed up my, my wife and our new kid and said, we're moving to Boise, Idaho to start an integration company. And um, I think back and I'm like, man, I, I don't think I was very smart back then because there's no way I would have done it now to think to move into a, you know, a, a very referral driven industry um, mm. um, without knowing a single soul. I, wow. I literally did not know a single, single person here um, you know, other than my wife and well, young son that we brought with. So what, what was that first success for you? Like it, to, how did you, how did you get your foot like planted there and say, okay, now, now I can have my first client and I'm going to, he's going to help tell his friend and then they're going to tell their friends. Like what, how does yeah. that go, go from zero uh, to something? Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, it became at first, just let's try everything and see what sticks. Yeah, so I joined the builder community. I started, you know, talk with every neighbor, um, introduce myself, talk about the company. Um, I would talk with people in the Home Depot parking lot. I would hand out business cards to people in Costco that were buying a TV and go, hey, if you need that TV hung, I can help you out. Um, wow. You know, it was every place I could find. I would, I would go to, you know, the building associations and the Chamber of Commerce meetings and everything, just trying to meet people. And, and I'll never forget, it was funny, through this guy I met, he ended up referring me into this home and um, I took on this project and I remember, gosh, I think back when we just, I guarantee I just lost my shorts on it, but um, I signed this project for about <laughs> $24,000 and I thought for sure that that was the biggest project in the history of Idaho and that no one would ever spend more than $24,000 and that this is just incredible and on and on and on. And yeah. um, that was kind of the start of really realizing, okay, this industry is far, far bigger, um, mm. even in Idaho than I ever imagined. And so we just kept continuing to push there, hired a technician, um, hired an admin, moved into a bigger building, um, hired another technician, a salesperson, a programmer, moved into another building, which is basically that we're in now. We moved in about 14 months ago. And now we have a team of 10 people. We have another person actually starting today and then another employee starting next week. So it's been a fun ride. And, and so, um, you, you mentioned several times about out, out of state clients, uh, is it because it is a recreational sort of vacation or second home kind of place that you would have the opportunity to then service a client's, um, primary residence or another, um, resort area, perhaps, um, in the, uh, in the West, uh, what, what's that, uh, opportunity? How does that come about? Um, usually, and you know, in my experience, what I what I found is that uh, the clients in our industry they're not necessarily money driven. Um, they have enough disposable money that's not the constraint in their life, and so for us, it just became referrals from clients. 
So we acquired a client in uh, New Jersey um, just through the referral of a client here. Um, wow. We were the client here. He was at an event with this individual and this individual was complaining about the technology in their home. And he said, hey, you've got to call the loop. You know, they're they're right down the road from me. And so I can still remember the day that when we first started helping him out, I was standing on a ladder pulling some wire in a little 1800 square foot house. And he calls me, he goes, hey, yeah, my name's. My name's Paul, and I got this, you know, home, and I need some help. And you know, I'm standing on a ladder. I think there are two or three of us at the company at the time. And um, he's like, "Yeah, it's you know, it's a little over twelve thousand square feet, and I got this outbuilding, and this pool, and this hot tub, and you know, I got twenty four rooms of music, and it's just not working. I wonder if you can come fix it for me." I was like, <laughs> "Sure, of course I can." Um, so you know, at that time, and, it was um, whatever was needed. So that, that's where most say, and, came from his referrals. And his name, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was cool. Wow. Well, that, that's, that's an interesting one. I hadn't thought of that angle at all about just, frankly, uh, my guy is the best guy and you're going to want to have him fly across country to do your project. Like that, uh, yeah. that is another way of, of, of branching out beyond your, um, core, uh, geographic region there. So, um, uh, and that, that must just be, um, one of those things where you, you just kind of have the bandwidth to be able to do that. Cause to leave your, your immediate area there to go work on a project. Um, and then th that service, um, opportunity must be challenging though, from a distance, at least in the early days when remote technology was, was not quite what it is today. Um, did that oh, <laughs> become yeah. a big deal for you to have to keep up with the projects that you installed from that far away? Yeah, you know, I think like most things in life, um, uh, especially regarding technology, have gotten much, much easier nowadays. Um, right. You know, back then when we did his first home, we had to set up VPNs and micro PCs oh, right. and, you know, separate monitoring tools. And we had to manually log in once a week to check his system and make sure everything was online and all this like regular maintenance because one of his, his main frustration, why he hired us versus the other company that had done the initial install to do this update was that he said, um, this individual, he has five daughters and this was at one of his houses where his wife and daughters would show up on a Friday at 5 PM to go to their vacation house and nothing worked. And they hadn't been there for three months and nothing worked. And he's trying to wrap up work in the city and He's trying to wrap up work and his wife and daughter are calling going, we can't get the lights to come on. The security's beeping. The TV won't turn on. And he's like, I'm just trying to finish work. And right. I said, well, we can, we can support that. You know, if mm -hmm. there is an issue, we will proactively discover it. And if your wife or daughters have an issue, they don't call you, they call us. And right. we will look at what's going on. If they're having worse, some device doesn't turn on. I remember we had, we had an issue with Morant's receivers where their network port would fall asleep every three weeks. So mm. if they hadn't been there within the past three weeks, none of the music had turned on. Right. So we created some backend code via control four that every 14 days it would turn the receiver on and turn it right back off <laughs> to keep these devices alive. So we, we started and, you know, so we learned a ton during this time of how do we make these systems self-sufficient? How do we yeah. make them so it's not a break fix model? It's a monitor repair so then the client never even knows. And I think yeah. that's one of the most critical things. You know, we hear from our clients all the time. I just want it to work. 
That's all I want. Mm -hmm. Just just make it work. And we hear it over and over and over. Um, so that's you know through our remote through our remote clients, it's been a huge skill set that we've you know really learned internally is making sure that these systems that we're installing, we're putting tools in place to keep them online, notify us when something breaks, um, and then being able to proactively reach out to the client to advise them before they've even discovered it. Yeah, it sounds like the way you describe the importance of the systems that you've built and getting to uh, an efficiency with the the build of the system and going into the home and maintaining it and keeping it working good service that you must be really particular about who you work with from a manufacturer standpoint and the technology that you bring into that mix and making sure that you're not going to have any surprises. Um, it, yeah. w w how, how strict are you? You must be very strict with saying, yeah, this new product's a good idea. Um, you need to really work through the early hiccups because no new product is going to be perfect. There's always going to be little right. um, problems in the initial days that the manufacturer may not have figured out already until it gets out in the field. So what, what, how, yeah. how much do you do there in those early days to bring in a new technology or product? Or are you just like this? We were going with what works right now. We're not changing. Um, it, what's that process like for you? Yeah, well, again, being a process manufacturing engineer, we could talk just on this topic for an hour. But um, yeah. it, it, because it's such a passion of mine, so I'll try and give the very abridged version of it. Um, one, I think our industry, um, on the integration side, I think our integrators, we need to do a better job holding manufacturers accountable. Um, um, I think a lot of times we let manufacturers get away with things that we shouldn't, that no other industry, you know, we as integrators, I think we often use the excuse that we love what we do, so we often cover for um, failures by other entities, um, whether it's one of our manufacturers or someone else. And I think that's, that's a big mistake. Um, mm. And kind of on that note, when we're looking at a new product, I've always found it funny that we will have a manufacturer or a manufacturer's rep call us and go, hey, yeah, here's this new product. I will go ahead and send you over the dealer paperwork. And I say, well, wait, 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 hold on. What do you mean? And they go, well, then so you can get signed up. We haven't talked about your terms. We haven't talked about your warranty support. We haven't talked about dealer support. We haven't talked about anything associated with the business. We need to talk about that before I'm ever going to consider bringing you on as a partner. Because if I bring you on as a partner and your product fails, my client isn't going to be mad at you. They're going to be mad at me. And they're going to be mad at the loop because we're the ones that provided it to them. Um, so, it, and we literally just had this with a universal remote where the client was livid with their universal remote because of something that we have no control over. It's something by the manufacturer because of the way the, manu the product is provided, the client's asking for a feature that we can't provide. And he, mm. and he has said multiple times, I can't believe you guys can't do this. And so yeah. as integrators, we need to be very careful about what brands we bring into our brand, because mm -hmm. again, our clients are not buying that brand. They're buying our brand and our experience. So if that product fails at no fault of the integrator, the client doesn't care. The client is still seeing it as the integrator's fault. So we need to keep yeah. that in mind when we're bringing on a new vendor. So what we do is we actually have a, we have a specific document that's required for any new product that someone in the loop wants to bring on board. So it's a, it's a onboarding form and it says, <laughs> here's why we want to bring the product on. 
here's which core values it aligns with with the loop because we have our core values clearly documented in our break room. We say, so if you want to bring on this new product, how does this align with our core values? If it doesn't align, we're not going to bring it on. And then we have a series of steps that need to be passed. Programmer has to sign off on it. In, someone from the install team needs to be aware of what the product is. The office needs to make sure that they can get it set up in the accounting software. Um, all these things need to happen before we will actually roll that product into regular installs. And it may be something where it's a unique product that is just a one-off, and we advise the client of that at that time. Hey, you know what? We haven't sold this product before. It's a new product. We think it would be a good fit for your project. But just so you know, we're going to need at least a couple weeks of that product in our design center because we have a full design center. We pre-build all of our racks, pre-test all of our equipment. And we're going to need that before we're going to put it in your home. But we also want to make you aware this is a new product for us. So there may be some glitches. Are you okay with that? And we have that conversation before that product is ever even sold to the client. Right. Let me guess on that remote. Was it a voice control situation? It, it actually wasn't. The funny part was it was a it was an automation, a well-known automation company's remote, and the client wanted the screen on it to have specific buttons to do specific things oh, okay. relating to one of the streaming services. And I said, okay. no, that's that's not a feature of the remote. He's like, well, but yeah. it needs to be. I said, I I agree, but I'm sorry, we can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, when you talk about service after the installation, um, obviously service contracts are a big topic in our industry. Do you do service contracts? So um, this is, again, something I'm super passionate about. So I will try and keep it short. Uh, <laughs> I would say yes, but we try to avoid the word of a service contract. So okay. the short version is, I think, a, a, again, kind of tying back to the lack of price sensitivity with our target market. So I've been told by multiple clients over the years, one specifically called me and he said, Hey, Eric, look, I've done multiple homes with you, multiple projects with you. I've never questioned a single price on anything you've given me. But as a result, I expect that when I call, someone's going to answer the phone. Mm -hmm. And that hit really deep for me of like, wait a second, these people operate at a different level than people like myself. I'm very price conscious about where I spend my money, where it goes. The vast majority of our clients, they're at an income level where I would argue a thousand, in many cases, $10,000 one way or the other is, is not that significant to them. What's far more significant is their time, stability, you know, ability to get to work on time, all of these other things. Money mm -hmm. is not the constraint, the critical constraint in their life. So, what we did was we pivoted our brand and now what we do, we followed what I shared with my team is kind of the Lexus model. So for people familiar with automobiles, Toyota and Lexus are the same thing. A Toyota Camry and a Lexus ES are the same car at its core. Some different body panels, maybe some different interior bits, but the vast majority of it is the same. What you're really getting, and if no one's ever compared them, walk into a Toyota service department or a Toyota sales department, and then walk into a Lexus service department or a Lexus sales department, and you'll see complete polar opposite experiences. And mm -hmm. I believe that our industry needs to focus on the Lexus experience. If you look at what, Le what Toyota has done with Lexus was they took a regular car, they added 
who knows, maybe $4,000 to that price to cover the cost of that premium experience. Hmm. So what we do is all of our packages, all of our designs we build, they include our loop pro care for the first hmm. year. That's basically our warranty. Some would call it a service contract. We say, no, that's, that's our level of service and support because what we found was that our clients don't care what the manufacturer's warranty is. They care, hey, I want this level of support and I expect it for at least a full year. Right. So we said, okay, well, we really can't sell them a service contract because they hate service contracts. They, <laughs> they, they see them as extended warranty. So what we said instead is we said, okay, hey, look, we're going to put a little bit in everything we sell to cover this first year of loop pro care. And this includes service calls, software updates, device replacements, all these things that our clients are looking for and they get it for the first year and it doesn't cost them a penny. It's right. just part of what they get from us. Now at the end of a year, yes. Then so at month, about month 11, we go through, we pull a report from our ticketing system. We pull a report from our accounting system and go, okay, Mrs. Jones, here's everything we've done for you over the past 11 months at zero charge. Nice. If you want to renew, it's $59 a month. It's $99 a month. What would you like to do? And give them that option a year to go, hey, if you want to continue, we'd love to continue to serve you. And it helps yeah. keep us in check to go, okay, are we really delivering on what we're on what we're supposed to as part of that first year of support? So that's the long-winded answer of do we offer service contracts? No, no, no. That's a very good answer. And it's also it 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 checks out with what I've heard from other experienced integrators as well, and that you really have to show them what they're getting for their, their first year there. That was, that's a key mm -hmm. element that you just described. Absolutely. And, and yeah, nobody wants to be sold upsold a, another plan or whatever, even a year later, but if they can see the value in it and my God, they, they didn't bother me about it for a year that, that makes it seem like, okay, yeah, let's just keep doing that. Um, so, uh, I, I'm curious about how you view, um, sort of trends and evolution of technology in our industry then as you sort of keep it in check and making sure that you don't go down pathways that are not productive or profitable for you. So um, are you seeing um, that there are needs or requests from clients that are out of your core typical competency that you, you do explore? Um, are you looking at um, developing into different categories like lighting fixtures like you hear about in our industry some other areas like health and wellness technology anything like that you, you know you you we editors like to write about these little trends but you find out there's like five percent of the industry actually doing them um <laughs> are you are you exploring anything outside of the the av entertainment um control networking realm for your company we are actually we're driving pretty hard on it because again, what we found is that our clients, you know, I, I tell my team all the time, I say our clients are looking for one throat to choke. When something's broken, the last thing they want to do is call somebody and be told it's somebody else. Yeah. Even if it is somebody else, they don't want to be told it's somebody else. So we, we do a lot of retrofit. That's, that's our, even with all the growth okay. happening in Boise, you know, it's repeatedly talked about one of the fastest growing cities, which, you know, when you only have 600,000 people, it doesn't mm -hmm. take that you know big of a bump to become the fastest growing. So 
Um, <laughs> we still do a lot of retrofits because we like them because we can control the client experience. So we have a sheetrocker that we regularly work with, an electrician, a millwork company, a painter, um, you know, a cleaning company. We have these partners that we always work with. And, you know, when I, when I look at, you know, where this industry is going, you know, definitely I notice it when I look at our projects in New Jersey, in Massachusetts, in Florida, where, you know, especially the East Coast is far, far ahead of Idaho in regard to client expectations and just the overall experience. You know, the, the amount of regulation is obviously far, far greater on the East Coast. And mm -hmm. so because Idaho is behind a bit, we're still getting a lot of conversations where we're going to the designer or we're going to the builder or to the electrician and going, okay, who's managing the lighting design? Who's figuring mm -hmm. out how many loads are going to be in here and what they're going to look like? And usually people just go, I don't know. We say, okay, well, we would love to be that partner. We would love to be the person that manages that. And once we start getting our toe into it, they start going, oh my gosh, this is a lot cleaner. This makes the project mm -hmm. run smoother. So to answer your question earlier, yes, um, we are getting very heavily vested into recess lighting. Um, again, looking at our core competencies and our core values, um, we are not doing designer lighting. So we're not doing designer fixtures. We're not doing chandeliers. We're not doing wall sconces. We've specifically told everybody on all of our projects, those items you talk to your designer about. We will control yeah. them. We will integrate them. But we are focused on two categories only, which is recessed lighting and strip lighting and LED strip. Okay. Also, right. because those ones are fairly technical in regard to the design aspect of a trimless recessed light or how do we integrate a toe kick strip and those types of things. Mm -hmm. So they tend to, again, go back and fit with our core competency of managing complex details. Right. Very good. And um, I, I kind of need to backtrack on one thing. When you talk about that client that said, I just want you to answer your phone. So when you do your, your service program, the way you described it, how do you guarantee, what is your structure for your team? So you guarantee that you definitely are able to answer that phone when they call and it's not necessarily the best hour for you as, as the business yeah. person who worked all day and they just got home at six o'clock and there's this, an issue or whatever. Yeah. You, you, know, you have so guys like it, on call and that type of thing, like, like a doctor's office. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting. That, and I would say a brief, a brief side story of that is that I can say, you know, I, like I said, I used to whitewater kayak and whitewater kayaking for anybody that's familiar with whitewater, it's rated from class one to class five. Class five is pretty crazy. Class two is quite mild. And so what we refer to after hours support as is it's class two with class five consequences, meaning that it's after hour support really isn't that big of a deal until that customer calls and is expecting someone to answer the phone. So 99.8% of the time, 24 seven support is no big deal because rarely is their phone call and rarely do they expect support right now. But when they do, and when it's that million dollar client, they, if you don't do it, if you don't deliver on that one incident, kind of what you're talking about earlier with projects, now they look at it and go, oh, your support sucks. You don't actually have 24 right. seven. And so initially what we were doing was I was providing all of it. It was all being forwarded to my personal cell phone and it would just ring through my personal cell because again, I have a bit of workaholic in me and 
you know, other than the, you know, eight days a year that I take off, it was, I was always there to answer. Um, but now what we've done is now we've partnered with portal because, portal, oh, okay. um, um, I'm sorry, not portal. Um, oh gosh, I just, I just lost the name. Um, Parasol. Thank you. Parasol. Uh, part of the Parasol because they, they are set up for that because that's really what you need, right? Is rarely are you going to get those 24 7 365 calls but when you do you need to make sure somebody's available Mm -hmm. and so it doesn't really make sense to have in my view a bat phone figuratively speaking that passes through your tech team what you really need is someone there just to answer the phone to say hey we're here gosh i'd love to try and help you talk the person off the ledge and that's where parasol comes in so we're really excited about that partnership. So what we're doing is based on the tier that someone is on one of our ProCare plans depends on whether or not they get ProCare or Parasol support added into it. And the client doesn't know about it. We manage it all on the back end. Mm-hmm. And so that way you can see those clients and we go, wait a second, this is someone who's going to expect 24-7. Then sometimes we'll just roll it right in there and not worry about it. We'll go, yep, we'll just go ahead and eat that cost. We roll them in because we know that this client is the type of person that's going to expect that. Right, right. Okay, so I've got two final questions because the okay, one shoot. before the final, the the one before the final question is the one that I made a mistake of ending on. And it's such a bummer that I felt bad about it afterwards. It's about supply chain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so how how Great how question. has how have you worked around? Um, the thing that everyone's dealing with in every business right now, which is supply chain delays um, and maintaining your service level that you want for the loop. Yeah. You know, you know, it has been very, very difficult. Um, The good thing is that, you know, now people are starting to get more patient with it, which is kind of ironic because now we're starting to see better supplies. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, a lot of it was, you know, advising clients, Hey, I'm really sorry. We specified a Yamaha surround receiver for you or a Sony, and we, we can't get you either, but we can get mm. you a Denon in six weeks. Well, well, but I really wanted the Yamaha. Okay, well, we understand that, but unfortunately, there aren't any. So <laughs> we can put your pro- project on perpetual hold, or we can get you this and have you installed in six weeks, which we'd rather do. Um, so that's been a very common discussion. And I think with anything, you know, the thing I, I share with my team and with anybody when we're talking business, I always, I always share, and I think this also applies even with, with you know, spouses and kids, is it's all about managing expectations. It's all yeah. about setting those expectations, which means those supply chain conversations, they need to happen early and they need to happen often. And they need mm-hmm. to happen typically in more than one medium. So if you have it verbally, then also follow up with an email. If you had it via email, also follow up verbally to repeat those expectations of, hey, just as a reminder, here's what's going on with your project. And then a week or two later, following up with the client, hey, just letting you know, we're still waiting on that new receiver for you. We're still expecting another five weeks, but we will let you know if it comes in any faster. That's yeah. That's been, you know, I would say it hasn't been anything crazy, but that's been the best thing we've found to try and manage it. Yeah, so you're not doing, you're not trying to carry inventory and, buy things ahead that you don't even have. Oh, yeah, there's always, yeah. yeah. Well, and that yeah, is, you know, I, I say, yeah, I mean, there, there's, a, I mean, that we have to do, you know, being not being from the manufacturing world, there's all these, you know, back end things that I love to talk about. Very, you know, very few people like to listen to or engage on, 
which is managing supply levels and reorder points and minimum inventory levels and all this backend stuff. But from a high level, you know, kind of the core thing is how long does it take to get and what's my yeah. burn rate? How fast am I using them? <laughs> so right, you know, right. if I'm using them at the same rate, but they're taking longer to get, that means I need higher inventory levels. We can sit here and go, well, is it seven or is it 12 or is it 20 or is it 20? It doesn't matter. So, you know, for us, when we started seeing the shortages on receivers, we opened up POs with every single receiver company. We literally just oh, sent out okay. a PO to every single one. So we had ones <laughs> with Grants and Denon and Yamaha and Sony just to say, hey, if you get any, we'll take it. And so we reserved yeah. a shelf, a, a shelving unit just for receivers. And then those were the conversations we had with clients. We updated our notes and D-tools. And it said, you know, hey, you know, Yamaha, da-da-da, receiver, please note this item may be subject to longer sales, longer lead times, and another brand may need to be specified. Right. So some things and, like and that, and and expectations and with the clients. And, and as you said, it's rare that a client really cares what the black box is. But uh, if mm -hmm. you can explain to them that it's going to work just as well and you you stand by it that's that's the key and just letting them know this is where we are in the in the delay um so there's just the, the not that frustration level um that makes a lot yeah. of sense my last my last yeah, question to you, you you've mentioned, Sorry, Jeremy, you've if, mentioned I add, if i can do one other thing on that real quick yeah yeah go just, for I it i tried to add one other thing real quick um i think one thing that is important um that integrators need to realize is that and it was something that I will say that we didn't realize initially is that this supply chain, you know, customers see higher prices and, you know, they're frustrated with inflation, but this supply chain has caused that even separate from the cost of the product, because if integrators look at their business and they look at how much harder it is to get product now and managing, you know, we were originally going to get this from this vendor, but now they don't have any. So now we're going to get it from this vendor, which now instead of two POs for this project, there's now five POs. The whole back end system, the whole back end burden of managing projects has gotten significantly more expensive than it was three years ago because mm. of this constant shift of where to find products. So, you know, for the integrators that are listening to this or watching this, you know, that's definitely something you want to look at because there's a lot of hidden costs that you're not even seeing where you're losing your most valuable asset, which is your labor. You're losing your labor just in trying to manage this back-end supply chain of changing vendors and, you know, longer leads and calling and, you know, what's the status of this PO and, you know, calling over and over and over for multiple months. And it's something that can't be glossed over. It's a significant cost. Uh, it's a significant burden. So. Yeah, I had not thought of that. And that makes a lot of sense that that time is, is wasted money um from your company not wasted it's eventually going to pay off but it's like a lot of time that wasn't needing to be used up all the time previously so um you've yeah. got to account for that makes a lot of sense absolutely so fi absolutely. final final question for you uh you mentioned cedia teaching and i haven't talked to you at all about what classes you've taught but are you still teaching for cedia are you going to be at cedia expo in dallas and are you going to have a class uh, so I did teach for, you know, I taught for multiple years at Expo um, up until up until the pandemic. Um, my classes were always on process just because I love process. Um, you know, so I've referred to as PQ, the three most important parts of your business, process, 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 um, <laughs> just because I love it. I think it's so important, um, whether it's with people or whether it's with your product or with your general operations. Um, I am not um, I am not educating. I am not doing any classes this year. 
uh, because we'll actually be exhibiting. We have another, we have a product that we're bringing to market. And oh. so we're really excited. Yeah, we have a product we're bringing to market. Myself and it's separate from the loop. It's a separate company mm -hmm. that we have called IFP Connect. And it's this okay. integrated fiber platform of being able to distribute data throughout a building all via fiber. So unfortunately this year I won't be teaching, but I'll probably be back for 23 teaching again because I do thoroughly love it. I love helping you know, other integrators any way I can. So you're going to be on the exhibit floor personally, huh? At the booth? Will. Yeah, we'll be there. That's great. We'll be there over on, I think they're, uh, I'm trying to remember what their name is now for the, for the first time exhibitor section. Um, you know, oh yeah. Like, well, you yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what, that's how I remember it now. It's like uh, some too. startup kind of terminology or whatever, but yeah, rookie row essentially. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Okay. So we well, a, I'm looking forward we to, to there that we're excited about. Awesome. All right. And, uh, and, and I, I would, think that we've kind of closed the loop on the loop because I figured out that I must have gotten to know you from that process, process, process um, ah, class. Okay. Um, probably because I would often look at the class lineup and come up with <laughs> story ideas that I could borrow <laughs> from the magazine yeah. <laughs> um, and say, okay, I'm going to reach out to either have them write a version of this as a guest author or interview them on the topic. And uh, these days, because I've gotten lazy with just having an interview on podcasts, I often use that and then interview as a podcast instead. So we, we've kind of got, yeah. finally got to that point with, uh, with that story. And I appreciate you always being there That's when right. I need a answer to a question for the magazine. And I so appreciate your time today, Eric. It's been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know about you and your business. Likewise. I appreciate you having me on, Jeremy. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. And yeah, if there's you know, anything I can help with or you know, any integrators that are on the call or have a question, I, I, I'm very passionate about the process side of business. So I'd love to help any way I can. Very good. Eric Crawford is the owner of The Loop, a custom integration firm in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about his company at theloopboise.com. And that wraps up today's show. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the weekly podcast on your preferred platform and consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.